This is a Soulfire production. everybody welcome back to another episode of politically homeless for those of you watching the video version of this you can see my ears now because i have new headphones not sure how i feel about them yet but we're getting there i definitely look more natural um lots been going on this is one of those episodes where i tried to get my shit together between the state of the union and between world war three potentially happening uh we got a lot to talk about today but i want to start off the show i i was we're actually putting together a new intro for the show and I wanted to start off with this one um, speech from JFK. This is his peace speech. Uh, we're not going to play the whole thing. It's about half an hour long, but we're going to play a substantial part of it because I think it's worthwhile listening to this. And there are some par- parallels between uh, where we were at then and where we are now. Cuban Missile Crisis, things like that. Of course, the shoe was on the other foot as far as having military bases and weapons uh, near the border of an adversary. But here we are anyways. So... I thought this is worthwhile, and, and and one thing I want you to think about as we listen through this is, um, when's the last time you heard a president speak like this? Um, maybe LBJ did, I don't know, I don't think so. <laughs> this may have been the last out-and-out peace speech, um, but we'll see. But anyways, I want you guys to check this out, and uh, we'll listen together. I have therefore chosen this time and place to discuss a topic on which ignorance too often abounds and the truth too rarely perceived. And that is the most important topic on earth, peace. What kind of a peace do I mean and what kind of a peace do we seek? Not a Pax Americana enforced on the world by American weapons of war. Not the peace of the grave or the security of the slave. I am talking about genuine peace, the kind of peace that makes life on earth worth living, the kind that enables men and nations to grow and to hope and build a better life for their children, not merely peace for Americans, but peace for all men and women, not merely peace in our time, but peace in all time. I speak of peace because of the new face of war. Total war makes no sense in an age where great powers can maintain large and relatively invulnerable nuclear forces and refuse to surrender without resort to those forces. It makes no sense in an age where a single nuclear weapon contains almost 10 times the explosive force delivered by all the Allied Air Forces in the Second World War. It makes no sense in an age when the deadly poisons produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the globe and to generations yet unborn. Today, the expenditure of billions of dollars every year on weapons acquired for the purpose of making sure we never need them is essential to the keeping of peace. But surely the acquisition of such idle stockpiles, which can only destroy and never create, is not the only 
much less the most efficient means of assuring peace. I speak of peace, therefore, as the necessary rational end of rational men. I realize the pursuit of peace is not as dramatic as the pursuit of war, and frequently the words of the pursuers fall on deaf ears, but we have no more urgent task. Some say that it is useless to speak of peace or world law or world disarmament, and that it will be useless until the leaders of the Soviet Union adopt a more enlightened attitude. I hope they do. I believe we can help them do it. But I also believe that we must re-examine our own attitudes as individuals and as a nation, for our attitude is as essential as theirs. And every graduate of this school, every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, mm. by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace, towards the Soviet Union, towards the course of the Cold War, and towards freedom and peace here at home. First, examine our attitude towards peace itself. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made. Therefore, they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. I am not referring to the absolute, infinite concept of universal peace and goodwill of which some fantasies and fanatics dream. I do not deny the value of hopes and dreams, but we merely invite discouragement and incredulity by making that our only and immediate goal. Let us focus instead on a more practical, more attainable peace, based not on a sudden revolution in human nature, but on a gradual evolution in human institutions on a series of concrete actions and effective agreements which are in the interests of all concerned. There is no single simple key to this peace, no grand or magic formula to be adopted by one or two powers. Genuine peace must be the product of many nations, the sum of many acts. It must be dynamic, not static, changing to meet the challenge of each new generation. For peace is a process, a way of solving problems. With such a peace, there will still be quarrels and conflicting interests, as there are within families and nations. World peace, like community peace, does not require that each man love his neighbor. It requires only that they live together in mutual tolerance, submitting their disputes to a just and peaceful settlement. And history teaches us that enmities between nations, as between individuals, 
do not last forever. However fixed our likes and dislikes may seem, the tide of time and events will often bring surprising changes in the relations between nations and neighbors. So let us persevere. Peace need not be impractical, and war need not be inevitable. By defining our goal more clearly, by making it seem more manageable and less remote, we can help all people to see it, to draw hope from it, and to move irresistibly towards it. And second, let us re-examine re our attitude towards the Soviet Union. It is discouraging to think that their leaders may actually believe what their propagandists write. It is discouraging to read a recent authoritative Soviet text on military strategy and find on page after page wholly baseless and incredible claims, such as the allegation that American imperialist circles are preparing to unleash different types of war, that there is a very real threat of a preventative war being unleashed by American imperialists against the Soviet Union, and that the political aims, and I quote, of the American imperialists are to enslave economically and politically the European and other capitalist countries and to achieve world domination by means of aggressive war, unquote. Truly, as it was written long ago, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. Yet it is sad to read these Soviet statements to realize the extent of the gulf between us. But it is also a warning, a warning to the American people not to fall into the same trap as the Soviets, not to see only a distorted and desperate view of the other side, not to see conflict as inevitable, accommodation as impossible, and communication as nothing more than an exchange of threats. No government or social system is so evil that its people must be considered as lacking in virtue. I think we'll stop it right there. Don't fall into the same trap. So well articulated, beautifully spoken. <sighs> thought it was worth sharing. We were looking through these things and thought that really um, resonated with where we are right now, which is a super challenging time and a really scary time. And I think those those words ring as true now as they um, as they did then. And so much respect for JFK and the way he articulated himself and being a rational actor in, in crazy times. Uh, we don't have someone like that now. It doesn't seem like we have someone like Khrushchev on the other side either. So we'll see where we're going from here, but this is a wild, a wild time. And, and let me listening to that gave me, gave me chills. So I wanted to share some of that with you guys today. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to do a, a Ukraine update, state of the union, um, a little bit of, uh, Jeffrey Epstein news. um, and then we're going to talk briefly about this "Don't Say Gay" bill in Florida, just for just for a hot second. Um, but we got a lot, of, you know, a lot going on. Had to just do a kind of a Ukraine update last week, so we pushed some things back. But it's time to get into it. Let's go. Make sure to join that Patreon if you have not yet. If you're into this kind of thing, Patreon.com/slash/politicallyhomeless. State of things coming at you right now.
All right, all right, all right. So, Ukraine, Russia, the EU, NATO, lots of things going on. I'm going to position this. Uh, I'm going to get called all kinds of names, like a Putin puppet or a, some kind of Russian apologist. I want to go ahead and state my position off the top. Um, I'm not pro-Russia. I'm not pro-Ukraine. I'm not pro-NATO. I'm not pro-EU. Fuck it. I'm not even pro-United States a lot of the time, okay? What I want, what I would like to see is civilians not being killed. Fuck it. I don't even want military members being killed. I don't want Russians or Ukrainians or Americans or anybody else getting killed over this bullshit. And yes, Putin has made a strategical error in the <laughs> in a in a very aggressive sense. Um, this is absurd. It doesn't make uh, the, the, it leads me to think there's got to be some kind of bigger picture here because it just doesn't seem to <laughs> to add up. It's like everything that he didn't want to happen is now happening faster because of what he did. And we'll see, right? We'll see. It's 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 weird. It's crazy, but. And what we're going to talk about and something to think about today is, is emotions, okay? And how emotional responses are problematic. And what I'm seeing everywhere is emotions being leveraged via propaganda and lies. And because we live in this era, right? Let's like JFK talked about in the intro, right? You can be propagandized into believing all kinds of crazy shit. But because we live in this era where things get spread all over the place, and yes, I'm talking about mis and disinformation, the real shit, not what's been labeled that, which has made those words mean nothing, by the way, because you labeled things that were facts, misinformation to serve your agenda. We all know that's bullshit, but there legitimately is misinformation, disinformation being spread all over the place. Right, and some other crazy takes that are going on. So what I want to do here is go through some of the some of the quiet part out loud stuff and then some of the just out and out lies and propaganda that have been shared and gone viral over the past week or so. Okay? But I wanted to make my position clear. I'm not pro Russia in this. I think Putin has made a humongous mistake. I think it's a very bad call. He's only got 10% of his military power apparently in Ukraine. I feel like something else bigger is going on here. I'm being patient. I'm trying to stay objective and I'm keeping my fucking feet on the ground. And I recommend that you do too. But if you want to get riled up and you want to post Ukrainian flags and you don't want to think about it and you just want to pick a side and pretend that it's that simple, be my guest. That's a very, that's a, that's a very small brain way to go about it, but it's okay. And it's a lot easier. And if you want, you know, the best thing about this is that this just ended COVID. Because now somebody ha- some people have other things to virtue signal about. In the way that we had a brief reprieve from COVID during Black Lives Matter protests, now we have a reprieve during a foreign conflict. And you get to pick a side that makes you feel good, and you can say whatever you want to say. That's not my job. That's not my responsibility. That's not what people listen to this show. Okay, so I wanted to just want to make that abundantly clear. I don't have a side in this. My side is for the real citizens, the people that want nothing to do with this shit in Russia, in Ukraine, and everywhere else in the world. That's who I'm with. Not these governments that don't really give a fuck at the end of the day. All right? So with that being said, let's get into it. We saw this here. I'm sure you've seen a little bit of this. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Sorry about that, guys. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen this here. It's a, kind of a, a compilation of, of these people talking about the refugees coming out of Ukraine. Now, let's just hear what they have to say. Very emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed. Children being killed every day with Putin's missiles. 
and Look, his helicopters and his rockets. And so, of course, I, I understand and respect the emotion. What you are outlining there is this tension between longer-term efforts to apply pressure to Vladimir Putin, such as financial sanctions, and the very immediate military threat which you're experiencing. Me, I'm sorry. No, what he's talking about there, what he's saying is that um, civilized people with blonde hair and blue eyes are being killed. Right, because we can't brush this under the rug like we do in third world countries, like what's happening in Yemen at the hands of Saudi Arabia right now, right now, with backing from, of course, our military-industrial complex. Now, with the Russians marching in, it's changed uh, the calculus entirely. Uh, tens of thousands of people have tried to uh, flee the city. There will be many more. People are hiding out in bomb shelters. But this isn't a place, with all due respect. Um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan that has seen conflict raging for decades. You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen. So it's partly human nature, but they are not in denial. Okay, now, well, okay, so that's, again, saying the European, white. There's a lot of white people. That's part of it. And those refugees can integrate more easily <laughs> into Europe, unlike Syrian refugees. Jesus Christ. Let's keep going here. The population, as you're talking to us, Matthew, we're playing in the latest pictures of some of the refugees trying to get on trains or trying to get out of Ukraine. And what's compelling is just looking at them, the way they're dressed. These are prosperous. I'm loath to use the expression. These are prosperous middle class people. These are not obviously refugees trying to get away from areas in the Middle East that are still in a big state of war. These are not people trying to get away from areas in North Africa. They look like any European family that you would live next door to. Fuck off. Oh my God, they look like us. They look like us. That's the problem. Is that part of this? Let's continue. That's a different language. Now the unthinkable has happened to them. And this is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe. It's not a developing third world nation. This is Europe. <sighs> so much of this. So much of this. They seem so much like us. That's what makes it so shocking. Ukraine is a European country. It's people watch Netflix and have Instagram accounts, vote in free elections and read uncensored newspapers. War is no longer something visited upon impoverished and remote populations. It can happen to anyone. Are you fucking serious? Are you fucking serious with this? Like, who wrote that and who... Because it's not the people on TV. Well, some of those people all probably had some genuine thoughts there. But who thought this was like the right thing to say? Who thought this was appropriate? I mean, give me a fucking break here. Now let's continue here. We've seen lots and lots of stuff going on. Uh, lots of things being shared. Lots of uh, hot takes. And a lot of fucking lies. A lot of lies. So you guys have seen this here. Let's watch this real quick. This is pretty aggressive. It's a tank swerving, swerving, swerving. Running over a car. Running over a car. Oh my god, that's terrible. The guy survived. Everything's okay. Everyone's alright. Don't freak out. Backing off. Okay. 
So we've got that, right? Everybody saw that. Everybody's seen that floating around social media. Uh, that was said that that was a Russian tank running over a Ukrainian civilian. Actually, that was a Ukrainian tank running over a Ukrainian civilian because they fucking lost control. They lost control of the tank and they ran over a car. Does it matter? Does it matter? Is that is that... Are we going to change it? Are we going to go back and apologize? That was everywhere, right? But no. Also, in addition to this, I'm not going to pull this vi- footage up because it's from a fucking video game or a flight simulator. The ghost of Kiev does not exist. It is not a person. It's not a thing. It's an idea. It's propaganda. It is straight up propaganda. They said he shot six or ten planes down. If you shoot down five planes in your entire career... You're considered an ace pilot. The idea that somebody shot down 10, unless they were flying crop dusters, it makes absolutely no sense, does not exist, is not real. Let's move on here. Viral video allegedly shows a broken Ukrainian father saying goodbye to his daughter fleeing for safety. And a lot of you guys have seen this video here of this, uh, this girl and her dad, which it is tragic. It is tragic. And they say, you know, this guy is going to fight for the freedom and sovereignty of Ukraine. Actually, in reality, who this man is, is a Ukrainian rebel fighting for the independence of the Donbass region against the Ukrainian government. And he is sending his daughter to Russia to be safe. Sending his daughter to Russia. Not a Ukrainian safe zone. No. He is a rebel. He, Russia is fighting on his behalf, allegedly. So again, more lies. <sighs> Fact check. These images do not show Ukrainian President Zelensky fighting after Russia invaded his country. And we all saw these photos of Zelensky with a plate carrier on. I had less of an issue with this because these are from um, pre, pre the invasion. This is a, a drill they were running back in the day. But um, you see him with a plate carrier on. You see him doing his thing on the front lines. Um, but these are old photos. They weren't positioned as old photos. It wasn't clear. If you're writing a story and these are the photos you have, because I'm sure photos aren't necessarily the priority right now for Ukrainians, I get that. But don't pretend this is now and today because it's not. I believe it was in 2021. So you're seeing more and more and more of this shit. Then we have of the infamous uh, Snake Island. Now, this is Vosh. Uh, he is a prominent lefty, a prominent lefty commentator on, on the YouTubes and Twitch. Him and Hassan Piker go back and forth quite a bit. Let's see what he has to say about the Snake Island guys. Many who have not been lucky enough to hear the glorious final words of the uh, 13 brave Ukrainian soldiers who occupied Snake Island. That's quite loud. A Russian ship approaches, demanding the 13 men on this island surrender or they will open fire. Do you copy? Should I tell him to go f*** himself? Go fuck yourself. Those 13 men are dead. And they died heroes. This is... This is the problem with occupying territory. Uh, when you make martyrs of every brave man and woman you kill along, and non-binary, they, them soldiers. Okay, we'll leave it right there. Um, actually, they're not dead. And it wasn't 13. It was 82. 
and they're alive in Crimea today. And that's, let's hear how Voss responded to that. Well, first of all, I don't have to take the L on anything because every single claim that I've made so far has been proven right. Every prediction that I've made has been proven right. So I've got a good track record and I don't. He's got a good track record, even though he was blatantly wrong because he can't do a basic fucking fact check at all. So we're seeing this everywhere, guys. And I'm not saying this, like I said, because I'm some pro-Russian puppet. I don't have a dog in the fight. Okay. And I know even saying that is controversial. Okay, I'm with the civilians. I want less people to die. I want less needless war. And what I want is for some actual truth to be delivered fucking somewhere. Somewhere. And I don't want to see these emotional reactions and this fucking tribalism that just won't stop. It will not stop. There is bad information everywhere. And I'm showing you this to encourage you to chill if you're fired up. It's very confusing, very nuanced, and the history of why this is happening and how we got here did not start two weeks ago. It does not start a year ago, okay? This has been an ongoing thing for over two decades, and we need to be appreciative of that. And the people in the Donbass region have been fighting Ukraine and being shelled by Ukraine since 2014. When the Americans decided to be a good idea to run a coup in Ukraine and install a pro-Western leader. Is it our fault this is happening? Is it the United States' fault? I wouldn't go that far. Because Putin has autonomy. He can say what he can say and do what he thinks is appropriate. What I'm saying is it's very nuanced and it doesn't serve us. If we've seen anything over COVID, can we not notice and appreciate that it doesn't serve us to dig our heels in and be defensive over things that maybe we don't fully understand because I'm not a foreign policy expert. I bet you're not. And I bet your fucking neighbor and your friends aren't either. Just like we're not fucking virologists. Okay. There's a lot of information and just like COVID it's nuanced as fuck. The only thing that's different when it comes to COVID is that this is the best thing that's happened to Joe Biden since Barack Obama. So keep your head on straight, guys. Maybe this is a, perfect, a public service announcement instead of a segment, but God damn. Keep your head on straight and your feet on the ground. Changing gears a little bit here, we've got Prince Andrew settles sex abuse suit with Virginia Gouffre for an estimated $12 million. Now, I've heard it's up to $17 million, but maybe it's a few million of that is getting donated to a charity or something like that. But let's just read through this and um, kind of dig down just a bit. Prince Andrew and Virginia Roberts Gouffre have reached a settlement in their sex abuse lawsuit, sparing potential embarrassing details about the embattled royal from ever becoming public. Sparing him from embarrassing details ever be, ever becoming public. Isn't that a shame? Now, Virginia, secure that bag, girl. Get that money. I've, I, I'm, I feel you. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you got some kind of settlement here. But goddamn, for the rest of us, I would love for those embarrassing details to be made public. I would love that. The sum of the settlement has not been has not been publicly disclosed, according to papers filed Tuesday in Manhattan federal court. But a source told the Post an estimated twelve million dollars. Gouffre and Prince Andrew will file a stipulation to dismiss the case within the next month, according to court papers, which were filed jointly by both parties. 
In an unsigned letter uh, submitted as an attachment in the settlement filing, Andrew said he accepts Gouffray has suffered an, as an established victim of sex abuse but does not admit any wrongdoing. Of course not. Prince Andrew has never intended to malign Miss Gouffray's character, and he accepts that she has suffered both as an established victim of abuse and result of unfair public attacks. It's known that Jeffrey Epstein trafficked countless young girls over many years. Prince Andrew regrets his association with Epstein and comments the uh, commends the bravery of his victim. I mean, Miss Gouffray and other survivors in standing up for themselves and others. So he just had to pay. He just had to pay her. That's his punishment: public embarrassment, and he had to pay the woman. That's it. That's it. Apparently, you can have sex with young girls as long as you're willing to pay them in some large sums of money. I don't know. I guess that's how it works. It seems to be the way that this whole scenario is played out. Glenn Maxwell, who's talking about her now? Who's talking about her? Is anybody curious about what's going on there? Anybody else? Maybe one of their associates or a few of them? No, we're not, we're not going to discuss that. And you wonder why people are conspiratorial and don't trust our institutions. All we hear about is, is, is how we need to protect the children from, you know, things that aren't actually dangerous to them, like some virus. But here's real-world suffering of, of young girls, disadvantaged girls most of the time. And we get to hide, gets to hide behind a settlement, so no embarrassing details are released to the public. And uh, Epstein allegedly gets to float on into the into the afterlife with very little accountability. And I'm sure Glenn Maxwell will be out in a few years, and all will be right. Such a sad, sad situation, dude. Such a sad situation. It's frustrating, and again, I'm glad that Virginia... I mean, this is an admission of guilt to me. It's an admission of guilt and a way to hide those embarrassing details. And it's really frustrating. It is. I would like to have seen more. I would like for him to have rolled on someone. But that's not been the case. And no one's even pushed for that. The prosecution didn't even push for that in the Glenn Maxwell case. Because you know she wasn't running the shit. I think she may have been more influential than Epstein was. But... It's just, I'm at a loss for words for this shit, man. This should have been the biggest news story over the past few years. And it could have been a great example of how these institutions that we're supposed to trust could bring justice, bring justice to the victims. But no, no, that's not what the institutions do. Because after a certain threshold, when you know the right people and you have the dirt on the right people, justice is nice, a little more flexible. Now, if you're poor and you're selling weed, maybe you got a little Coke on you, God forbid crack, just multiply whatever you had with the Coke times 10, you get locked up. You get locked up. You get your rights stripped from you. But Epstein can traffic girls and get a, you know, work release every day, spend the majority of the day at his office, maybe getting some massages. <sighs> and that's our justice system. That is our justice 
system. I can't say it wasn't well built to serve the people that it was supposed to serve the whole time, right? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm nihilistic, but they're definitely not doing themselves any fucking favors. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Cured Nutrition. You know about Cured. You've heard about Cured, but here's something new that you probably haven't heard about yet. It's called Nightcaps, okay? So we got... A lot of things that we talk about from Cured that are fantastic, from the dog treats to the uh, Rise Aura and Zen tinctures, all kinds of great stuff. And these, this company is doing an amazing job, an amazing job. And they just dropped this new product called Nightcaps. It's an all-natural sleep aid. It's going to improve your sleep quality, accelerate recovery. It's formulated specifically for nighttime use. And you compare it with that Zen product that I've talked about a ton to, for the ultimate sleep combo, that one-two punch for nighttime. Okay, so it contains 30 milligrams of full-spectrum CBD as well as 5 milligrams of CBN per serving, and it's mess-free. It's not tinctures, it's capsules. Take this shit 30 minutes before you go to sleep. You're going to have the best night's sleep of your life. The best night's sleep of your life. Okay, cured raw CBN capsules are specifically formulated to improve sleep quality and promote deep relaxation and longer, more restful sleep. You need that right now, okay? You need that right now. If something, some war breaks out domestically, you're going to need to have some sleep. You're going to need to have slept yourself and been rested, staying sharp. You're going to need mental acuity, and all that stuff comes from sleep. Even your hormone levels. Okay, If you get a shitty night's sleep, your testosterone goes, goes into the tank. And that means if you're a man, woman, a they, them, whatever. Hormones still matter. Okay? So if you get a shitty night's sleep, you're uh, you know, you're gonna have a hard time maybe performing in the bedroom. That's the thing that we don't want to do. A lot of those issues can be fixed with good sleep. All right, maybe like performing at work. All these things, so many things are influenced by your quality sleep. And I want you to get the best quality sleep. Okay, I want you to listen to this podcast and I want you to go lay your sweet, beautiful head on a pillow and have the sweetest dreams. That's what I want for you. And that's why I want you to check out the Nightcaps from Cured. So what you can do is go to curednutrition.com. The link is in the show notes of this show. You can do it right now. Hit that shop tab at the top. It says all the things. And the first thing that's going to pop up is going to be Nightcaps because it's brand new. And I want you to hook yourself up. Get it covered. And if you use promo code HOMEWESH, you're going to get 10% off of your Nightcaps. Pick up some other stuff too. Get some treats for your dog. Your dog deserves some nice treats. It wants to be chilled out. Maybe you and your dog, you give your dog some CBD treats. You take these nightcaps about 30 minutes before bed, and you guys just hang out on the couch and cuddle. It's a good connecting time between you and your animal. You need that. It's important. Guys, check it out. CuredNutrition.com. Promo code HOMELESS will get you 10% off. Now, let's talk about Element real quick. Everybody loves Element. Element's great. You guys send me pictures all the time. You tell me all the time how much you love this stuff. What it is, it, let's, just read, let's pull the ingredients up real quick. I got it right here in my hand. Salt, malic acid, magnesium, malinate, potassium chloride, natural flavors, and stevia leaf extract. That's right. No sugar, baby. It's sweet. It's tart. It's salty. And there's no sugar. And it's hydrating as fuck. One of the best things about having it in this little convenient packet that you have it in is that you can make it as strong or as weak as you want. Usually, I'm mixing up my element in a Yeti or something similar or a mason jar, right? 
but you can also just figure out how much water you like. If you if you if you have Element right now and you're like getting used to it and just trying it out for new, try it real strong and then try it real watered down. I like mine stronger. My wife likes hers a little bit more watered down. Whatever floats your boat doesn't matter. You're still getting hydrated as fuck either way. I drink one or two of them a day. Sometimes three. It just depends. If I'm doing if I'm more active, I'm drinking the shit out of this stuff. And they just released a study. I need to re- I need to read on their website about salt during your workout. So if you're doing like CrossFit or high intensity workouts. This, there's there's a new study showing that there could be an improvement in your performance by drinking salt during your workout, which is funny because back in the day, during like two-a-days uh, practice, they would give us salt pills to keep us from cramping, uh, and they stopped doing that for some reason, but that was a thing, and it was like a it was kind of like an old wives' tale that it would work, and now here we are looking at it now, and it's like, oh, maybe they were onto something and didn't even know it. Guys, if you haven't tried Element yet, you're doing yourself a disservice. Go to drinkelement.com, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders. All you have to do is go down, scroll down into the show notes, click the link in the show notes. Okay, you're going to get a free variety pack. All you have to do is cover shipping. It's a $5 shipping charge, and you get a free variety pack of their most popular flavors. And then from there, you can figure out which way you want to go. Do you want to go with the with the mint chocolate, right? You a nighttime nighttime sweet, sweet, uh, sweet craving daddy. You might be, and that's okay, right? Maybe you can curve those cravings with that chocolate. Mix it with some hot water. Make it strong. Make it sweet. Or are you like me, where you like the watermelon and the grapefruit. You're more of a, a citrus watermelon type vibe. That's okay. Whatever, dude. Maybe you're all of, above, all of the above, and you just want to order a humongous case. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that you go to drinkelement.com slash wanders. You click that link in the show note for whatever you do. Use that link every time you buy something. Because it makes me look good, and uh, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? Don't tell me I'm wrong here. I mean, there's not very many things that I con- I'm convinced that I'm right about, but I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. DrinkElement.com slash Wanders. Get that variety pack, just $5 for shipping. Now let's get back to the show. And Bill Gates had some interesting comments the other day while he was in uh, Munich. Talking about vaccines and viruses because he's a doctor. Well, wait, he's a, sorry, he's not a doctor. My bad. Um, he's a billionaire, entrepreneur, founder of Microsoft, anti-competitive uh, practices guy. He's that guy. He's the guy that was, uh, you know, you have to, you can go find the deposition and see what he was about. He's not really changed much. Still loves monopoly power. He doesn't want to release vaccines to third world countries. And now he has some interesting takes on natural immunity because he is the trusted expert. Mr. Gates, because this is, I know, a topic that you've spoken on again and again. You were ahead of the curve prior to the beginning of this pandemic. Where yeah, would you was. assess where we are today in beating COVID-19? Well, the, uh, you know, sadly, the virus itself, particularly the, the variant called Omicron, uh, is a type of vaccine. That is, it creates both B cell and T cell immunity. And it's done a better job of getting out to the world population uh, than we have with vaccines. If you do uh, sero surveys in African countries, you get well over 80% of people uh, have been exposed either to the vaccine or uh, to various variants. And so, you know, what that does is it means the chance of severe disease, which is mainly associated with being elderly and uh, having obesity or diabetes. Oh, wait, what? I'm pretty sure you get taken off of YouTube for saying that just a little while ago. 
So it mainly has to deal with the elderly and the obese, is what you're saying. Well, then why are we pushing for people, kids under five to get it? Or even five to 11. Or even under fucking 18 years old. Unless they have significant comorbidities. Which is essentially a prerequisite to having a bad time with this thing. And we're still here. We're still playing this song and dance. Even though Bill Gates, is, Bill Gates has now admitted what has been abundantly obvious for well over a year now. Diabetes, those risks are now dramatically reduced because of that uh, infection exposure. And... You know, it's sad. We didn't do a great job on therapeutics. You know, only here, two years in, do we have a, a good therapeutic. Uh, vaccines, it took us two years to be in oversupply today. Doesn't discuss monoclonal antibodies at all, which is a very, very effective therapeutic. And notice that he called the vaccine a therapeutic, which only makes sense because they changed the definition of what it means to be a vaccine. There are more vaccines than there is demand for vaccines. Oh, no. Uh, and oh no, the simple supply and demand curves are going to decrease your profits, bro. Oh my God. You might only get 10 X on your investments instead of 20. There's more vaccines than there is demand for vaccines. What a fucking shame. You know, that wasn't true. And next time we should try and make it instead of two years, we should make it more like six months. Uh, Let's rush it even more. Okay, uh, good idea. You know, some of the standardized platform approaches, including mRNA, would allow us to do that. So, you know, it, it took us a lot longer this time than, than it should have. So we have that there. Now, where he really let the cat out of the bag was with his Freudian slip early in that. And I don't know if you caught it, but he said, sadly, sadly, the virus has evolved to be less deadly, which... Unless I'm mistaken and fact check me on that, is kind of what fucking viruses do. So the viruses did what viruses do. And that's sad. Because Omicron essentially became a vaccine. Which was predicted in the early days of the pandemic. That it would become less and less virulent as time went on. Which is exactly why there's remnants of the 1918 flu pandemic in our modern common flu. You see how it goes? That was pretty obvious. That was the that was the baseline. That was the control. That, 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 was the, that was the assumption as to what would happen because that's what happens. And no, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a virologist, but goddamn, I can listen to people who know what the fuck they're talking about and that's not too difficult. And be like, huh, that seems to make sense. There's a through line there. That makes that 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 seems to add up. That passes the smell test. But sadly, sadly, the virus got less impactful as time went on. Sadly, because now there's more vaccines than there are demand for vaccines. I am so sorry. I'm just I'm weeping over here for you, Bill Gates. I am weeping for you. <laughs> Sadly, sadly, Bill Gates has lost all credibility. Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci, how about we should mask these motherfuckers in perpetuity? How about that? I think they put a gag in Fauci and threw him under the White House. Because I haven't, where is he even at these days? Oh, man, what a trip. But let it slip there. 
Again, every now and then, especially when it's unintentional, when the quiet part is said out loud, if you just listen for it, it can change everything. <laughs> Let's move on. All right, so the State of the Union last night um, surprised me a little bit. I mean, I remember walking up to uh, Kelly and being like, damn, Biden's kind of killing it out there. And I don't mean that it was like good or that there was a lot of substance to it, but he kept himself together. There was It was pretty hard to listen to, but so was everything he said. And he didn't make any like weird elbow gestures and he didn't fall asleep and he didn't die and he didn't call someone fat and he didn't challenge anybody to a push-up contest. Like the bar is pretty low. The bar is pretty low for Biden, and I thought, all things considered, he did a pretty good job. Now, he added in the Ukraine hoopla at the beginning, and I'm going to pull out some of my highlights. But what I really thought was um, interesting was the populist messaging. And people were like, Trump said that. Trump said that. Blah. I hear that all over. It's like that's people, like the conservatives, the Trumpers, will not shut up. They're like, Trump has said the same thing. And the, Republic, and the Democrats didn't cheer for him. It's like, well, first off, the cheering thing, the whole standing up and cheering thing is fucking obnoxious. If I was a president, I'd be like, everybody shut up and sit down. If you want to clap, clap from your seat. This is stupid. This, is, this grandstanding virtue signaling bullshit is dumb. So stop. So, <laughs> it, was, it was driving me crazy. And of course, Nancy Pelosi in the back with her little hands doing this and like her jaw or like dentures falling out. I'm like, and you look around the room and I'm like, why is everyone so fucking old? Everyone's like 8 million years old. Then Madison Cawthorn's in the front. Which he did have a pretty funny post where his uh, brake broke on his wheelchair, so he had to use a can of skull, I think, or a can of grizzly to like keep his keep his chair from rolling forward towards the president. Which would have been pretty funny, actually, if he just would have started like rolling forward, like if he fell asleep or something like that. That would have been a good move. That would be, that would have gone viral. But I look around this room of geriatric fucks, and I'm like, all right, well, Biden's kind of holding himself together. Uh, Kamala's neck is so big, by the way. Josh, can we just get a photo up on on the video here for just Kamala's neck? I mean, Kamala's neck needs her own Instagram account. I mean, Jesus Christ. Um, but anyways, a lot of things were going on. Lo- noticed a lot of stuff. And I wanted to pull out some of my highlights here. But the, the, let's just circle back to the Trumpers because we're kind of going on a tangent here. These Trumpers that are like, well, Trump said that and the Democrats didn't cheer. And it's like, yeah, of course, because the cheering is, is, is it's political theater. Okay. And when Biden said the same thing that Trump said, which is just a populist message. It's not a Trump message. It's just populism. Thomas Franks is the same thing. You may not know who that is, but he'll say the same shit. It's not like these thoughts are original to Trump. It's not, not like the idea of, of bringing manufacturing back to the United States is like an original Trump thought. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't have a trademark or copyright on domestic manufacturing. The thing is, he didn't do anything about it. I don't. There's not much more manufacturing here than there was when he started off. Uh, there was that Foxconn plant that they built that didn't go anywhere. Uh, I think it's just an empty building now. Um, so good job. Uh, uh, and the thing about Trump, he overpromises and underdelivers. That's because he promises everything and he doesn't do shit. I know that upsets some of you, but it is what it is. And show me the difference. Show me a place where it's different. I can tell you about the First Step Act that he was ashamed of apparently because he never brought it up. But anyways, that annoys me. It annoys me because it's dumb. Okay? It doesn't annoy me because, like, oh, I'll take it personally because I'm a Biden guy. Because you guys know I'm not a Biden guy. Okay? <laughs> like, you guys know. I voted for the idiot. But, like, I'm not a Biden dude. So, with that all being said, um, let's get into some of my highlights and my favorite pieces here. And he was just channeling. It does seem like he was channeling Bernie and Trump, which is a smart move. 
It's a smart move. Those are the two very popular candidates. That's who should have been running instead of you, Joe Biden, and Hillary Clinton, if you're out there listening to this. That's who should have been running for either one of you. But you fucked him twice, and then you steal his message, which is kind of frustrating. And I guess that's the same frustration that Trump people are feeling. But instead of me being like, oh, well, Bernie said that, and then they blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'm like, well, at least the message is still there, right? Because that shows something. When the message sticks through to a different candidate with a different ideology, but the message is resonant, that means that it's mad, like the, the people speaking up, like you and me and everybody out there who's like shares this stuff and shares other like populist messages, it's resonating, it's doing something. And those messages, unlike defund the police, actually have legs and can actually make change and actually do something different as long as we put enough pressure on our politicians. And because that's now part of the cultural zeitgeist is bringing back manufacturing and doing things domestically and nuclear energy, which he didn't bring up one time, by the way, but these things, because they're becoming so popular, maybe they will catch on slower, hopefully slower than defund the police because you don't want an explosion. You want a slow, gradual buildup, a snowball rolling down a hill. That's what you want. That's how movements are created that last because you got to suss out bad ideas. You got to, you got to like pound it back and forth, go back and forth, debate it a little bit from the left and the right and the center. And build a better idea and let it build steam incrementally over a shorter or a longer period of time than defund the police, but not really, not just not being addicted to incrementalism, but building a robust idea and a robust concept through public discourse and debate. And that a lot of times happens, unfortunately, sometimes between political commentators and people out there that are sharing their ideas. Okay. So this is a good thing. If Biden is saying some of the same shit that Trump is saying, that is a good thing. And if the next Republican, whoever it is, is saying some of the same things that Biden was saying, that means there's some overlap in populist messaging, which is a good thing, not something to fucking cry about. So let's start off here with this take on uh, trickle-down economics. <laughs> It worked. We created jobs, lots of jobs. In fact, our economy created over 6.5 million new jobs just last year. More jobs in one year than ever before in the history of the United States of America. The economy grew at a rate of 5.7 last year, the strongest growth rate in 40 years. Oh, well, that was a really... The first step in bringing yeah. fundamental change to our economy that hasn't worked for working people in this nation for too long. For the past 40 years, we were told the tax break for those at the top and benefits would trickle down and everyone would, would benefit. But that trickle down theory led to a weaker economic growth, lower wages, bigger deficits, and a widening gap between the top and everyone else in, in, in nearly a century. So it kind of bumbled there, which is delivery again. It's Biden, so it's hard to listen to, but the take on trickle-down economics is pretty good, right? We've been lied to about this, 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 this theory since the Reagan era, and it really just hasn't panned out, has it? It really just hasn't panned out. And while, you know, maybe they were just wrong and it was an honest mistake, at the end of the day, we got to back ourselves off of this. You know, let's, let's, let's turn it upside down and go trickle-up economics. That'd be, that's, that's an interesting concept. Let's provide some upward mobility for those uh, working class and below that have a desire to put in the work, do the thing, right? Let's create some opportunities for them. That is a message I can get behind. That's a populist Bernie Sanders style message. Now, moving from the, tr the Bernie book to the Trump book, uh, let's see what he has to say about domestic manufacturing. 
to compete for the jobs of the future, we also need a loving playing field a loving with China field. and other competitors. That's why it's so important to pass the Bipartisan Innovation Act sitting in Congress that will make record investments in emerging technologies and American manufacturing. We used to invest almost 2% of our GDP in research and development. We don't now. Can't. China is. Let me give you one example why it's so important to pass. If you travel 20 miles east of Columbus, Ohio, you'll find a thousand empty acres of land. It won't look like much, but if you stop and look closely, you'll see a field of dreams. The ground in which America's future will be built. That's where Intel, the American company that helped build Silicon Valley, is going to build a $20 billion semiconductor megasite. Up to eight state-of-the-art factories in one place. 10,000 new jobs. And in those factories, the average job about $135, $135,000 a year. Some of the most sophisticated manufacturing in the world to make com computer chips the size of a fingertip. The power of the world in everyday lives, from smartphones, technology, the internet, technology is yet to be invented. But that's just the beginning. Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger, who is here tonight, I don't know where Pat is. Pat, there you go. Pat, stand up. Pat. Pat came to see me and he told me they're ready to increase their investment from 20 billion to 100 billion. That would be the biggest investment in manufacturing in American history. And all they're waiting for is for you to pass this bill. So let's not wait any longer. Send it to my desk. I'll sign it. And we'll really take off in a big way. So yeah, I mean, he's pushing for domestic manufacturing. Those are also very high paying jobs, which is great. Like I said, you get, if you're going to be saying, this is one of the biggest issues with this whole deal is you say a bunch of shit, but there's not individual policy proposals, right? It's like, well, you put them in a package with a bunch of other bullshit that nobody really wants. And then you can complain about the one popular item in your whole bill, but it was, it was packaged with nonsense. It was packaged with nonsense. So of course it didn't get through. Now he's trying to rebuild or rebrand the build back better thing to build America better or so I don't know, some stupid bullshit. It doesn't matter. It's none of it's going to catch on. It's not a MAGA type slogan. Um, and he's not a Trump type figure. So he's not going to have that kind of charismatic appeal to people. Um, but with all that being said, I love that. I mean, right now, like I'm investing in domestic uh, semiconductor manufacturers. I think that's a, a good long play. It's in the same way that this is not financial advice. So don't take that from me. But same thing, I'm, same way I'm looking at nuclear energy right now. You know, and shit, even Bill Gates is getting into it. So, you know, it's all right. <laughs> so, you know, at some point it's going to be the cure to some kind of pandemic or some dumb shit. So this is good, though. And again, this is what people were complaining about that it came out of Trump's book. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who the messenger is as long as it's moving in that direction. Now, will he deliver on this? Will this get delivered on? The one thing Republicans don't want is Biden to have any kind of success whatsoever. So we can rely on that. Right, we can rely on that. We can rely about the, the on the Supreme Court being a shit show. Maybe the the Ukraine situation will make that a little bit more expedient and a little bit less messy. I would love uh, to see a less messy Supreme Court appointment because it's not a very controversial one, to be completely honest with you. So when we look at this whole thing, uh, I think this is great. This is this was good. 
I appreciate this. I'm glad this is being talked about. I'm glad it's being talked about on both sides of the aisle. I'm glad it's an issue that they see as important enough, important enough to getting them votes, which is what they care about. Don't care about you. Don't care about me. Don't care about people, right? They care about getting votes. So if they know that this kind of shit and delivering on this is going to get them votes, then they will push it. And we need to remember that and keep that in mind when we're making our decisions on who to vote for and what policies matter the most to us. So now I'm moving on to the Rust Belt. Rust Belt, not a very, not a Biden safe haven by any stretch of the imagination. As Ohio, as Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown says, as Sherrod Brown says, it's time to bury the label Rust Belt. It's time to see the, the, what used to be called Rust Belt become the, 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 the home of a significant uh, resurgence of manufacturing. And with all the bright spots in our economy, record job growth, higher wages, too many families are struggling to keep up with their bills. Inflation is robbing them of gains they thought otherwise they would be able to feel. I get it. That's why my top priority is getting prices under control. Look, our economy roared back faster than almost anyone predicted. But the pandemic meant that businesses had a hard time hiring enough people because of the pandemic to keep up production in their factories. So you didn't have people making those beams that went into buildings because they were out. The factory was closed. The panic also disrupted the global supply chain. Factories closed. When that happens, it takes longer to make goods and get them to the warehouses, to the stores, and go, prices go up. Yes, that is how that cars works. last yes. year. One third of all the inflation was because of automobile sales. There weren't enough semiconductors to make all the cars that people wanted to buy. And guess what? Prices of automobiles went way up, especially used vehicles as well. And so we have a choice. One way to fight inflation is to drive down wages and make Americans poorer. I think I have a better idea to fight inflation. Lower your costs, not your wages. So that's good. I mean, again, that's a very Bernie Sanders-esque position, which is probably going to work for him if he keeps singing that tune. But again, what are you going to do to deliver on that? How is that going to work? How is it going to work? We're not seeing that, right? Where's the, where's the policy proposal to make that happen? What pressure are you applying to make sure that we're not being price gouged? Right now, he did bring up the meat packing plants, which is a great, great topic to dive into. The four meat packing plants that essentially have this kind of like all <laughs> this kind of like oligarchy of just like you have to work with these guys. They make all the money. Meat producers do not. Cattle ranchers do not make any more money. They have like this fixed bullshit wage. Well, these other people are just stacking fucking cash and it's fucked. Right. So one thing he said, and I really liked this quote, was capitalism without competition isn't capitalism, it's exploitation, which is things that we've said here. I like capitalism, too. I don't. And if you critique capitalism, people are like, well, you're wearing a Ruka hat that costs like thirty five dollars. Yeah, I am. And I like it. And I like buying nice shit. OK, I like capitalism. That being said, I don't like exploitation and I sure as fuck don't like monopolies. <laughs> right. So like those things can exist at the same time. That's not a stretch. And I appreciate that he said that because you don't see that often. I wish you would have talked more about nuclear, like I said. Let's finish up here with another very Bernie Sanders-esque statement about drug prices. One in 10 Americans has diabetes. 
That's a problem by itself. One in 10 Americans have diabetes. That's a problem. You didn't bring up basic fucking health as a part of this at all. Nuclear and basic health. Those things could have been brought up. I would have really enjoyed that. But that kind of conflicts with this, like capitalism messaging. So can't expect too much. In Virginia, I met a 13-year-old boy, the handsome young man standing up there, Joshua Davis. He and his dad both have type 1 diabetes, which means they need... To be clear, you can't do anything about type 1 diabetes. You get it when you're born. That's different than type 2. Type 2 is more of a self-inflicted style of diabetes. Insulin every single day. Insulin costs about $10 a vial to make. That's what it costs the, the pharmaceutical company. But drug companies charge families like Joshua and his dad up to 30 times that amount. I spoke with Joshua's mom. Imagine what it's like to look at your child who needs insulin to stay healthy and have no idea how in God's name you're going to be able to pay for it. What it does to your family, but what it does to your dignity, your ability to look your child in the eye, to be the parent you expect yourself to be. I really mean to think about that. That's what I think about. You know, yesterday, Joshua was here tonight, but yesterday was his birthday. Happy birthday, buddy, by the way. <laughs> For Joshua and 200,000 other young people with type 1 diabetes, let's cap the cost of insulin at $35 a month so everyone can afford it. And drug companies will do very, very well, their profit margin. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I don't think Bernie would have thrown in the part about uh, drug companies doing very well, but that's still, like, it's very clear whose playbook that came out of. So, we see some more populist messaging from uh, these corporatist fucks. So, I mean, all in all, I think it was, I think he did a pretty decent job. I think for being Biden and what we expect of him, I think it was pretty good. I liked seeing the domestic manufacturing push. I liked seeing the drug prices push. He said, he said, a lot of it was just like check boxes, like these strategists are back there, like, you gotta say this, and you gotta talk about gun control, and you gotta talk about the, like the Rust Belt. He just brought the Rust Belt in and didn't really say much about it. Um, as if, like, Intel's gonna hire people out of the Rust Belt to, for these factories. Like, they're gonna bring people from, probably from California, oftentimes, <laughs> these, <laughs> for a $135,000 a year job. Like, that's gonna be a pretty specialized job that's gonna require certain people. So, I don't think it's going to be, yeah, you got to think about stuff like that, but it's still a move in the right direction. Like getting the semiconductors domestic is going to be incredibly good for our economy, for the future of our technological development and not being reliant upon countries like China and even Japan to an extent. And a lot of those come out of Taiwan, which could be part of China pretty soon. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But all in all, I love that he buried COVID. COVID was barely a part of this. They, like We've completely moved on now, which was pretty predictable that at some point something was going to happen that distracted people enough that we could just kind of like brush it under the rug. It is what it is. That's where we're at. So there were some highlights there. Again, I'm not going to praise Joe Biden. Like, do something. If you don't talk about it, be about it, you know, but this is the state of the union and, and nobody ripped up any speeches and nobody it didn't, you know, there was a, boo, a little bit of booing going on, but here we are. Here we are. He said the things. Now, one of the good things about the State of the Union is now he can hold them hold them to account for that in certain ways. He'd be like, "Well, you said you were going to do this. It didn't take that long to do that, right?" He also didn't bring it up bring up legalization of marijuana, which I would have loved to hear. But 
we can only ask for so much from Joe Biden, right? He did write the 1994 crime bill uh, with some help. So I wanted to give you guys a recap. We're actually going to skip the don't say gay bill till next week. We'll bring that up. We're not in a hurry about that, but I do want to discuss it because there's a lot of fuckery afoot there. Um, Man, this has been a stressful week. It's time for me to give you something to fucking think about, though. I think I dropped more F-bombs this episode. Sorry if I offended anyone. I'm actually not sorry. I'll never apologize for using foul language. Show's been pretty crazy lately, guys. They've been a little crazy, been a little scattered. I'm finding my rhythm. I'm finding my groove here. Don't fret. What I want to talk to you about today, what I want you to think about today, is how emotions can be leveraged. Okay, we've got a we've we've had a master's class on how emotions can be leveraged over the past couple of years, and we're seeing a continuation of that now. We went from COVID to Ukraine, but emotions are being leveraged in the same way. And as you saw in the segment earlier, where there's a lot of fake information flying around, a lot of propaganda, which I'm sure in review to Russia, there's a lot of anti-Ukrainian propaganda, even though I've heard that's kind of not the case. We'll see. Yet to be determined. But what I want you to think about here is, is how and what emotions can be used and leveraged against your own critical thought. Because while emotions are important and understanding your emotions and being in touch with your emotions is all very important, it's an important part of life. It's a very valuable part of life. It can be used against you, and it's not that hard. It is not that hard. Great examples of some of the greatest hits of, of this type of manipulation is abortion and gun laws, right? Depending on where you fall. I'm not even going to tell you what I think about those things, but just saying abortion Get you feeling a thing, right? They're just saying, we're going to take your guns away. Does that make you feel a little thing in your gut there? Does it? Just a little bit, right? That is emotion, okay? And that is a valuable tool to those in power. And the best thing you can do to fight the leveraging of your emotions against you is to fucking breathe and keep your feet on the ground, keep your head on straight, and don't let that cloud your judgment. Yes, emotions are an important part of decision-making. Absolutely. But in a situation where you're disconnected from the chaos, which we were with COVID and we are with Ukraine, right? Because you weren't making the decisions. You were told that you making the decisions was actually akin to a crime against humanity, right? But now we've got a situation where we're very, all of us are very disconnected from the ground of what's going on, from the reality of what's going on. And that is a a part of the situation where it is just ripe for emotional leverage and emotional manipulation. So what I want you to think about is how that can be used against you. What are your weak spots emotionally? What are the things that'll get you triggered? Because there's a multi-front war being waged on your critical thinking. 
It's been going on for a while. You may have even become deconditioned to it, which in my opinion is the worst place to be. But you can kind of regain your sovereignty here, guys. Regain your sovereignty. Stay objective. Stay grounded. And put a heavy filter on the information that you're allowing into your consciousness. Okay? Filter that shit like none else. It's super important to not let your emotions be leveraged to manipulate you into a belief that while it may be virtuous, may also be incorrect. It's complicated. It's not easy. But the best thing you can do is, again, stay grounded, take a breath, get off your phone, and take a beat before you repost a thing or share a thing or have a, a strong opinion or villainize someone else. Keep it grounded. Fucking love you guys. I'm a favorite in the whole world. Well, you're not really if you're not in the Patreon. If you're in the Patreon, yes, you are. If you're not, you're my second favorite. If you want to be my first favorite, go to patreon.com slash politically homeless. And you can be my BFF if that's something you're into. And you can get involved in a uh, bonus episode every week and ask the guest on Thought Criminals questions via the Patreon. <sighs> Again, I've said it a lot this episode, probably more than ever. Set a PR. Keep your head on straight. I love you guys. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>